Since Immanuel Kant, many modern men and women have tried to divide reality into the physical world that we experience with our senses and into the spiritual world that we experience with our hearts. And they try to deny that there is any interaction between these two universes. The popular thinking is that in the realm of ethics and faith, every individual can make up their own opinion, and every opinion is equally valid. Most importantly, God must not be allowed to reveal himself in normal life. But is this wall of separation between the physical and the spiritual worlds valid? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you not to just buy into the power ideas of the majority in our culture, but to take an honest look for yourself at the Bible, God's Word. Let's join Dave as he uses a Time magazine article to raise the question about whether or not the living God invades this present universe. What does the book of Revelation chapter 10 have to say about this question? Suddenly I get my Time magazine for the week and here I have right on the front cover, I think it's amazing, how man evolved. A scientific statement, right? So I can open up the pages, and I have right here in the pages the profound uh, discovery that has been made. You notice how they filled in a good portion of the face. And in my scientific classrooms, we would debate about how did you know how to fill in all the rest of this. And there would be long discussions. And I'm really sure that in the literature, in the paleontological literature, there will be all kind of discussion about this material People will call into question, you know, the, the scientists that, that got the stuff and how they carried out their observations and all that will be done. But none of that's in the article. Instead, what they have is just a beautiful series right here where we go all the way from Australopithecus and we come all the way up here and eventually end up with Neanderthal who has a brain capacity probably greater than ours, if not equal to ours. And then you also have Homo sapiens and then you suddenly have us. And they say, this is exactly how man evolved. And then so that we can make sure that we all understand what's really at stake, Dr. Stephen Jay Gould, who teaches paleontology at Harvard University, he's one of the leading evolutionists in the country, he wrote an article, Dorothy, it's really us. What a sociologist would do is look at this and say, here we have pure elitism. As if the people in Kansas have no idea what they're talking about. They're being so, so backwoods. What I really want to understand here is that we have a caricature that went on, and it's been going on since 1925, in the Scopes trial. Now, how many of you have ever seen the Scopes trial acted out on TV? You've seen the Hollywood movie. It's one of the best movies that's ever been made. And you've seen this immortalized debate between William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow. And the fundamentalists are just destroyed in that movie. Ever since then, in any discussion about evolution and creationism, ever since that debate, Those that side for a biblical cosmology are always presented as backwoods, ignorant folks. And the scientists are presented as very objective and very factual and very much on the side of truth. And what I want you to understand is that that is a great big propaganda machine. I want you to understand that. We want to believe strongly in how God reveals himself in nature. And I would pray that there would be some incredibly gifted biologists 
that would grow up in our church family. I would pray that there would be some incredibly gifted paleontologists that could go and get their doctorate with Stephen Jay Gould. I would pray that we'll have some great chemists and physicists. In other words, the Word of God does not deny science. But also, the Word of God wants us to understand that you can have entire philosophies that well up around a particular point of view. One of the things that Stephen Jay Gould says in this article about Dorothy, it's really odd, it says this, No scientific theory, including evolution, can pose any threat to religion. For these two great tools of human understanding operating in complementary, not contrary fashion, in their totally separate realms, science as an inquiry about the factual state of the natural world, religion as a search for spiritual meaning and ethical values, and notice he left out, he didn't say in the internal world, but he could have because it was implied. But he's clever enough not to say that. Let me read that again. He says, no scientific theory, including evolution, can pose any threat to religion. For these two great tools of human understanding, notice who's the one that's in control, human understanding, they operate in complementary, not contrary fashion, in their totally separate realms. Science operates in the world of the factual and the natural world. Religion operates in the world of the make-believe. Notice we don't have factual, but he implies the word make-believe And spiritual meaning, in other words, the internal world that all of us can make up. That's not a scientific statement. That is a a philosophical statement. I can illustrate it like this. Let's suppose that we were going to have the task to figure out how this watch came into being. Okay? In other words, you discovered this watch on a beach. You'd never seen a watch before. And we are going to figure out how it came, how it originated, and then how it progressed. You know, what is the story behind this watch? Now, true science would tell us that we need to look at all the facts, we need to collect all our observations, we need to make inductions, and we need to make guesses based upon those inductions, and then we can figure out, to the best of our ability, how this watch came into existence. And that would be scientific. But let's suppose... That from the day one, from the very beginning in which we discovered this watch, let's suppose that we ruled out, we ruled out that there could be any watchmaker. There can't be any engineer that designed this watch. There can't be any expert workman who put this watch together. This watch has to be created And totally by chance and probabilities. It's totally a closed system with no invasion of purpose and design. Now, would that be a fair way to figure out how this watch came into existence? Would that give you accurate information about how this watch came into existence? Now, we all laugh at that because if you develop the probabilities of how long it would take to take the raw materials, even the raw materials of this watch, if I took this whole watch apart, put it in a box, and start shaking it, the mathematical probabilities that by shaking that watch for millions upon millions of years, that you'd eventually get this watch is zilch. And that's the big debate that's taking place in the real scientific world today. All over the United States, and including Europe, 
All over the university, there's a major, major upheaval, especially flowing from physicists and chemists, the hard scientists, and the mathematicians. Because the mechanics of Darwinian evolution, which is a naturalistic evolution that eliminates any invasion of purpose or design from the outside, is beginning to crumble. The mechanism isn't there. As I teach you the book of Revelation, they teach you the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is making a statement that goes totally contrary to Dr. Gould's statement. Dr. Gould said that science deals with a world of nature, the world of facts. That's the world where you live, isn't it? That's the world where you exist. That's the world where you're going to live. It's the world where you're going to die. Just this past week, I flew out to Paducah, and we took a precious little baby that had already gone home to glory. And I comforted a precious family by saying, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, you can believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that weren't so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to this present world, this physical, natural world, the world of science, and I will take you from this physical world to be with your child in the eternal world. Now, how many of you believe that? Now, what did Jesus just say? Did Jesus say we have two great big compartments? We have the physical world, and then we have the internal spiritual world, and they never intersect. No. The Bible makes the claim from day one that the creator of the universe jumps in to his physical world. Now, that doesn't eliminate science. Because there's secondary causes. God in the Bible doesn't say that he's causing every single event. God's not saying that finches can't get isolated in a habitat on an island. And you can have some finches on this side of the habitat that can't mate with these finches over here because of mutational changes. The Bible never says that none of that can't take place. What the Bible does say is that there are natural processes that our great creator, our great designer set up. And that's why there can be science. It's why those of you that are scientists, in fact, you, you are a very microcosm of the fact that you're made in the image of God. Because every single scientist is trying to figure all this out if they need to have a great big mirror in their lab that pictures them. Because you never have any scientists that are just, you know, haphazardly throwing stuff around a laboratory and, and shaking things and, and just doing things by chance and probabilities. No, the scientists that I worked with, man, everything had to be weighed exactly and measured exactly and observed exactly. Man, everything was as precise and as engineered and as purpose-driven as you could imagine. And one of the things that's happening, that there's a whole lot of people that are waking up and saying, listen, if a watch couldn't come into existence just by chance probability, and if it is just a philosophical a priori, a decision that's made beforehand that we're going to eliminate any supernatural purpose or design the system. And if we're finding out that there's no way that we can generate the complexity of human existence, then it's time to wake up and turn around and go back to the revelation that we have in the Word of God. That's what I want to challenge you about. You're going to decide what's going to be your authority. Because if we open up to the book of Revelation today, I got news for you. The whole book of Revelation is predicting that God is going to jump into history again. 
You see, what the book of Revelation is all about is that things are not just going to keep continuing as they have from the beginning. And the book of Revelation is telling us, we've read about the, the sealed judgments. We've read about the trumpet judgments. Now you say, oh man, that's so scary. You know, to talk about, you know, the fresh water supply being destroyed and to talk about the, all the green and the luscious green, uh, that's, uh, the vegetation being destroyed. That's such a terrible thing. Well, I want you to know that you can't escape. I found it very interesting that at the end of this article, we had a little bit of revelation. Let me read to you the scientific revelation. The development of the symbolic thought and complex communication did nothing less than alter human evolution. What a God. We have now altered the driving force that's created life. I want you to think about this. I want to think of your power. I want you to all know how powerful you are in the eyes of Time magazine. It says, for one thing, high-tech transportation means that the world, though ethnically diverse, now really consists of a single huge population. Everything we know about evolution suggests that to get true innovation, you need small, isolated populations, which is now unthinkable. Not only is a new human species next to impossible, but technology has essentially eliminated natural selection as well. During prehistory, only the fittest individuals and species survived to reproduce. Now, strong and weak alike have access to medicine, food, and shelter of unprecedented quality and abundance. Poor peasants in the third world, notice the put down. Did you hear that? I've ministered to some of those poor peasants in the third world. They're some of the most incredible, one of the, some of the most precious parts of the body of Christ that I've ever been with. But listen to the elitists. Now the poor peasants in the third world are better off than the emperor of China was a thousand years ago. And technology shows no signs of slowing down, which means that even dramatic changes in the natural world won't necessarily have evolutionary consequences. We're not going to adapt to the next ice age by changing our physical form. We'll set off an atomic bomb. Or we'll manipulate the human genome, which will eventually let us change the basic characteristics of our species. Evolution not by natural selection. It will now be replaced by the chilling reality of evolution by human intervention. Now that's apocalyptic writing. It even says in this article that we might have a meteor come that destroys life as we know it on planet Earth. And that has something to really look forward to. Isn't that great? What I want to really illustrate to you as I open up to the pages of Revelation to you this morning, that you can think, you know, this is some old, dusty, spiritual book. But you're going to find that you can't escape from the realities that the book of Revelation is talking to you about. And if you're a pure scientist, you're going to eventually find out that as you push a naturalistic science that eliminates the supernatural, you're going to end up in fairy tales and mysticism, and we're ultimately going to find out who really is living in the land of Oz. Because what you believe about Genesis has a lot to do with what you believe about the book of Revelation. Let's look at Revelation chapter 10 and pick up what Revelation says as this mighty angel swears by heaven and earth. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the angel, this is a mighty angel, possibly an angel like Gabriel, possibly an angel like Michael. It could even be Gabriel. 
He's one of God's mighty archangel in the book of Daniel. He is presented as the one that comes and reveals the destiny of planet Earth to Daniel. This mighty strong angel raises his hand. He's standing on the sea and on the land, illustrating that he has total control. God's throne is in control over planet Earth. He raises his right hand to the heaven, and then he swears on an oath. It's a courtroom scene. Just like you've seen somebody on a TV drama put their hand in the Bible. Will you swear to tell them the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. But here we have an angel that's making that kind of a solemn oath, a solemn swearing. He swore by him. Now look what he says. This angel lifts his hand, and he swears by him who lives forever and ever. Who is it that lives forever and ever? Who do you believe lives forever and ever and ever? Tell me. Jesus, God, who lives forever and ever? Tell me real loud. Who lives forever and ever? God lives forever and ever. Who do you think lives forever and ever? What do you think has been around forever and ever and ever? Whatever you in your heart believed has been around forever and ever is very much integrated with your God. In naturalistic evolutionary thinking, Matter and energy are eternal. Nobody really asks what comes before the Big Bang. It's very important as a biblical believer. We can debate origins and we can debate about the scientific details of how it came about. And one day I think we're going to be in heaven and have our heavenly daddy really explain to us how we did it. And we'll find out, you know, that some of the areas where in science we got it right and some of the areas where we didn't understand it at all. And that needs to be the drive that pushes scientists on. That there is an infinite God out there. There is someone that I'm in in his image. And that's why I can follow in his steps and I can learn about his creation. There's a great impetus within biblical Christianity for good science. But it's also, there's a break on science because we realize that we get down on our knees not before man. We get down on our knees not before human gods. But we get down on our knees before the God that lives forever and ever and ever. It's a mind-boggling thought. Every one of us come and we go. Every famous person comes and goes. One of the most foolish things that a human being can do is to pridefully strut themselves on the course of history and think that there's somebody. Because everyone's forgotten. Everyone turns to dust. That's why I want to be connected to the one that this angel is swearing by. God who lives forever and ever and ever. What a tremendous thing to pastor a congregation where I can point you to the son of God who lives forever and ever. Who died for you so that you can live with him forever and ever. Who rose again so that you will have power to live forever and ever. What an incredible thing to have that great promise. What a difference between the the whole history of death that evolution presents to me. Here we have a God who lives forever and ever and ever. It says that he is the one who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that's in it. I want you to know that this idea that God created the heaven and the earth is not just, it's not just an idea that comes up in the book of Genesis. I want you to understand it's on almost every page of Scripture. In fact, I just jotted down a few of the verses. Because I think a lot of times when we think about this idea of God creating the heaven and the earth, we almost have an idea that's just Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
But let's just eliminate Genesis 1 and 2. Let me read some of the other verses that talk about your heavenly daddy being the creator of heaven and earth. Exodus 20.11, when Moses was giving the law to the children of Israel, giving them a reason to rest on the seventh day and the Sabbath day. It said, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. King David in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Psalm 102, verse 25. In the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the, wor- and the heavens are the work of your hands. Psalm 146, 6. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. The Lord, he is the one who remains faithful forever and ever. The prophets, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out. The one who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it. Who gives breath to his people and life to all who walk in it. Isaiah 45, 18. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens. He is God. He is the one who fashioned and made the earth and he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. Jeremiah. 3217. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Let's switch to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul speaking in Acts 14, verse 15. Men, why are you doing this? The people were trying to bow down and worship Paul and Barnabas. And he said, No, get off. We're just men like we like you are. We're, we too are just human beings. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to serve the living God, the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Acts 17, 24, when the Apostle Paul debated with the Athenian philosophers, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made with hands. Hebrews eleven three caps it all off. By faith, we understand that the universe that was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what we can see. It was made out of the invisible. By faith, we understand that everything that we see, the material world, what came before that was the word of God. What I want all of you to understand that are into the science community, it's really important for you to be a believer in God and believer in Christ, to do good biblical interpretation, but also to do really good science. And it's very important to understand where philosophy and a whole naturalistic viewpoint has just totally captivated the academy of our day. And it's time for some of those, just like using my simple watch illustration, if you eliminate the idea of a personal God who invades planet Earth, who calls things into being. If you eliminate that from all the investigation, then it changes the whole ballgame. I want you to know that geology and biology and paleontology, those fields are totally controlled by the idea that the only way you can understand this watch is no purpose, no design. And a lot of the time sequences that are developed are often related to to when you analyze them carefully, you find out that the reason you have all this time is because that's the way. There would have to be this incredible amount of time in order for probability factors to work. And yet in our day, the mathematicians are telling us there's just not enough time. 
What I want to share with you is that I believe it's important for us to get back to what Revelation is telling us. And I have to decide in my heart, am I going to be a naturalist or a supernaturalist? I want you to know that that's a big struggle in my heart. There's a part of me that's cynical and wants to say that it's just a material world and you can understand everything just in terms of material forces. And I have a lot of that. It's a philosophy called rationalism that flowed out of the Enlightenment. And I have a lot of that in me. But I want you to know that as your pastor teacher, based upon this holy book and based upon my relationship with the Son, I am a committed supernaturalist. Amen? Can you join Dave and boldly declare that you are a committed supernaturalist? The Bible, from cover to cover, speaks to us about a creator who does invade his creation. He is not a father who abandons his children. In fact, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our creator becomes a man like us. He faced death like all of us will, and then he did what no one else could do. He rose again from the dead. God's Word has been telling us the truth about the identity of our Creator from the beginning, and there is still time to open your life to Jesus. Today you can decide to trust and follow Him. None of us ever know when the barrier between this present physical life and the eternal spiritual life will be broken. Jesus is the only Savior who can guarantee that He can bring you safely into His Father's house. Why don't you talk to him and invite him to take up residence in your life? Be sure to join us next week for the second part of Who's Living on Oz?